Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to the fifth Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast of the Week with Owen Murph and Ken. Hi Murph and Ken. Hello there all. And that's right, the fifth show of the week, our bonus podcast, features one of the best English footballers of all time and one of the nicest guys in sport, Kevin Keegan, in conversation with Ken Erdy here. If you've seen the shots of 1970s Keegan that we've used to promote this interview on Twitter, you'll see the seriously impressive shape he was in as a player. I mean, I'm talking shape that would be considered pretty impressive now in modern football. Back in the 70s, it was... And there was a touch more forgiveness for a man who was over five or six percent body fat. Well, of course, you know. Uh, what, what was it? No, it hadn't occurred to anyone that that might be a problem. <laughs> Keegan uh, reveals to you kind of secrets behind that physique and uh, the superior fitness that drove him to the top of the European game. Yes, it's a fair summation. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I, I ended up talking to him for like, quite a long time. I just thought I'd be talking for ten minutes, but then there was no one else there, so I just got him meandered on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, meandered. Entertaining me though, okay? Well, you know, promoting this that's, thing that's that up to the listeners now. It's true. Murph, you were away on Monday, so we haven't mm. heard your reaction to Leicester's triumph yet. Well, listen, I, I enjoyed greatly. Of course I listened. Um, most, mostly. Uh, I, I listened and I heard um, uh, Ken mentioned Richard III, of course. Oh, yeah. Um, My groundbreaking research. <laughs> uncovering uh, the, the ultimate Easter egg mm. from uh, Mr. Shakespeare. But uh, it was a, a massive oversight uh, to forget about Leicester's biggest celebrity fan on Mark Selby. Close. Carol Linker. No, you're ev- you're even further out. Well, Carol Linker is their biggest celebrity fan. Uh, David. Excuse me. David Attenborough. Richard Attenborough. Yeah. Uh, if you'd both shut up for just one second. Okay. It's Mark Morrison. So did you know? That after a debut album that yielded five top ten singles, including Return of the Mac, Trippin', Crazy Remix, Horny, and Moan and Groan. Uh, <laughs> Horny and uh, Moan yeah, and Groan. Horny, they're two different songs. Uh, prominent Leicester City uh, celebrity fan, Mark Morrison, was arrested and imprisoned for hiring a lookalike to serve his community service while he went on tour. I did know that. I have heard this story. 
Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to take the wind out of your sail. No, no, it's no. It's better for me to say I haven't heard the story. Uh, well, maybe so, <laughs> but if you've heard it, you've heard it all. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you know? uh, after that misstep, he was signed to former Arsenal striker Kevin Campbell's Too Wicked label. Uh, his career has stalled somewhat, but I, for one, still await the return of the Mac <laughs> once again. Um, wow, I can't believe he, he did that. What was the community service for? Uh, it was... Oh, you can check it out while while I make the point yeah. of five top ten singles from one album. Can <laughs> like I tell that's, you something? That's, that's can I tell you something? It's the uh, he's the first he's the first artist in British pop history for that to happen off a debut album. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, so yeah, he tried to uh, bring a firearm aboard an airliner for which he served three months, just as his hit song "Return of the Mac" began rising oh, up the US. Come on, Morrison. Even in the nineties, that wasn't acceptable. It's not cool. Why? What? Not yeah. the brightest idea. That was, but that was, that wasn't the community service though. Uh, so yeah, he served three months. Okay, there was a brawl. Uh, incarcerated in Wormwood Scrubs for a year. Gun. Oh, that was yeah. Okay, yeah. Brawl. Yeah. To be honest, he's had. He's he's, he's there a, have been highs. There have been lows. Yeah, there have been some yeah. issues. It Off has the, been a life. You know, a life led <laughs> mistakes made. Yeah. Uh, but nothing, nothing uh, in the legal. Sphere for the last number of years. That's Nothing good. in the record producing sphere that we can find either. That's well, so yeah, but I mean, right you know, maybe, maybe he t- you take out the highs, you take out the lows, you're left with a life. You know, Mark he's found. Mark has found peace. Josie Mourinho graciously congratulated Leicester Ken, as you mentioned on Monday, for winning my title. Oh yeah, a title he intends to win back next season at Old Trafford. Well, I mean, there's photos in the um, Daily Mail today of Josie Mourinho going around just looking like a total slob. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like a, like someone's dad, you know. If he, I mean, he is obviously someone, someone's dad. He's got a couple of of now fairly much grown up kids, but he he literally just looks like your dad on a day off where he doesn't really expect to leave the house. Except that Reno is actually out on the street and is one of the most famous men, <laughs> one of the most famous men in Britain. But he doesn't care. Tracksuit bottoms, but also a tracksuit top as well, and some. Some runners, yeah. He's, I, mean, I mean, you know, whatever. He's a sports guy. Yeah, but he's not a sports man. No, you know, I, I, I think you might be able to let say, if I saw Sir Chris Hoy, Sir Chris Hoy, yeah, wearing that gear on a, on a street, I'd be like, well, maybe he's off to training or the gym or something. Or, but yeah, Jose. I mean, oh, he's not. I, I mean, don't. I don't think he's going. When Jose Mourinho no. first arrived to to England, I mean, I think that there was. You know, there was quite a hubbub about how good-looking he was oh, and so, how yeah. immaculately dressed he was. Well, he was ridiculously good. Oh, I saw footage of he was like, him winning know, the 20, uh, 2004 Premier yeah, League title. Two thousand five. Yes, his first league title. My God! And you're saying now he looks like your, like everybody's slightly dishevelled father. So. <laughs> yeah. um, well, he looked like your good-looking brother then, the good-looking brother who you were never going to be as good-looking as. Yeah. Kind of like the Stand by Me movie, Ken. Remember that? Yeah. The older brother character in that. Just a handsome, good guy, good grades, successful, all that kind of stuff. That's what Mourinho kind of reminds me what of. Happened? <laughs> what happened? What happened to Jose Mourinho? What happened? I suppose uh, 12 or 13 years, those 12 or 13 years can be the cruelest 12 or 13 years of my life in that, in that sense. But now the, the story was the uh, Duncan Castles, um, I'd say his master's voice, but uh, there is a... Uh, story from him that that Manchester United have asked Jose Mourinho to come back in a year. They might be ready for him to come back in a year, and 
uh, you know, does this take over then from Lee Van Hal? Oh, what, just chill out for the season and come back in 2017? Which Duncan, Duncan Castle's... Get comfortable in those tracksuit bottoms. Duncan Castle's tweets that, uh, unsurprisingly, Jose Mourinho isn't interested in waiting that long. So I wonder what's, what's going to happen here. Is it a case that uh, he's, he's finally been denied access? I mean, there's been a, um, evidently, bit of a PR campaign going on for a while. Uh, to create the impression that he was taken over. I mean, Diego Torres had the story that, uh, you know, they'd signed this pre-contract deal with him where they'd have to pay him a ton of money in May and then another ton of money in June if they hadn't hired him by that point. Well, clearly they haven't. So either they're paying him a lot of money or that story was completely wrong. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's a, but why, I, I, do, I do not understand this. Why, for, why would he accept that? Why would Manchester United keep Van Hal? Well, this, 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 this story may also not be not be true. Owen. I mean, there's yeah, but been let's a lot of, there's been a lot of work off the accommodation uh, accommodation. Work off the assumption that uh, this is the case. Again, yeah. he is going to. Then it doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. because it doesn't really make any sense to have Jose Mourinho as a successor for Louis Van Hal. Like they're very different. Would he be Van Hal's assistant for that year? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's nearly worth asking Mourinho that question uh, just so you could... Would you envisage yeah. working alongside Ryan Giggs as the assistant to <laughs> Van Hal? He's been Van Hal's assistant before. so you know, Translator, Jose? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, he, ha- he has done that. I suppose get to know the ropes at the club. Yeah. Get to know. But, I mean, the, the thing is that it doesn't make any sense to have Jose Mourinho as a successor to the Van Hal because it's a completely different type of football. It's like, why? If you wanted to hire Jose Mourinho, hire him now. Don't have another year of Louis van Gaal and then have Mourinho come in to try to do something completely different. It doesn't make any sense as a plan. You know, if it was Guardiola, maybe it would make some sense. There's some, at least there's some kind of sense of they're in the same camp Guardiola football-wise. You know, they've, they, you know they've, they've, they share some principles in common. Mourinho and van Gaal don't share a lot in common at all. <laughs> apart from, you know, apparently mutual, mutual respect. And, no, they seem to oh, really? get on quite well. Oh, sorry, sorry, I thought you were talking about Guardiola. Yeah, they, they work together. They don't yeah. think they've got any reason to dislike each other yet. Maybe increasingly, with every day that Van Gaal clings on to that job. Jose Mourinho, you know. But uh, in fairness, Van Gaal is now in the uh, FA Cup final. Still in with a chance of getting a fourth. Manchester City looks so inept, almost moribund at this stage, that you could. <laughs> it's quite possible he could end up finishing fourth in the Premier League or even third. Can they, can they finish third? I haven't really looked at the table. No, they can't. Well, I don't no, they, they would need third. Arsenal to beat City on Sunday to get them fourth, and that would propel Arsenal beyond. Yeah, yeah. So they, so they can't. Whoever, if if there's a winner, they need there to be a winner uh, between Arsenal, and Manchester City, and then they can finish ahead of the loser. They can't finish ahead of the winner, I guess. I've always liked Damir Khan ever since interviewing him. Not long after he turned pro, more than ten years ago, and even before that, actually, his run through the Olympics in Athens was unbelievably exciting at the time. And his professional career has also been exciting, but sometimes be- not always for the right reasons. A couple of spectacular losses in there. And I'm a little uneasy about his task this weekend, even though he has resurrected his career in the last couple of years. He's stepping up two weight divisions. He's going to be fighting the Mexican Saul Canelo Alvarez for the WBC World Middleweight title in Vegas in the early hours of Sunday morning. Alvarez has lost just one of his 48 fights, and that was to Floyd Mayweather. Andy Lee is going to pop in for a chat on that one after we talk Leicester City with US Murphy. Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior 
you're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. Daddy's out on his feet. Frank Cappuccino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, 40! Brian Murphy, I know you're wrapped up in NBA playoffs and late spring, early summer baseball, but have you been following the Leicester City story? You know what, boys? It actually got across the pond. Yes, yes, in this era of uh, we don't have to rely on telegraphs or uh, or carrier pigeons or, or news traveling by boat now. <laughs> no, the Leicester City story immediately resonated here in the States and, in fact, uh, it, it actually was gathering momentum, as I'm sure it was over there, times 100. But we were even being made aware of it kind of midway through the winter, January, February, March, like, hey, there's something happening over there. There's a big story. But I think we kind of tucked it into the back of our consciousness until they actually clinched, which um, which I guess was just an you know, incredible story and has caused all sorts of reactions over here, too, as to where these things rank in the history of the world. World. But I'd say the only negative, just the slight negative, is that they had to clinch uh, in that guy's kitchen, whoever that uh, that ja- Leicester City yeah, player was. Jamie Vardy is the striker who. Um, yeah, yeah. Who they all, they all what do they say? Like, uh, what's the what's the line? Jamie Vardy, we're having a party, or we're having a party with Jamie Vardy. I yeah. don't even know, but something one, like yeah, that. Yeah. But uh, but uh, that was the only negative was they were clinching uh, right in front of that guy's uh, refrigerator, as opposed to as opposed to being out on the pitch with their <laughs> fans, which would have been. Obviously, just such an unforgettable tableau. You know, if they had clinched it at home, maybe with a win. But beggars can't be choosers after 132 years. If you clinch in a man's kitchen, it's still as sweet as not clinching at all. So, yes, absolutely. It got us talking a little bit over here. And, uh, man, I can only imagine what the reaction is over in Europe. Yeah, it's been absolutely amazing. And the first thing we did on Monday was try to compare it to other great sporting upsets and shocks over the years and one of the big American ones that pops up a lot is the Miracle on Ice but as Ken rather dismissively pointed out on uh, on Monday we're not counting one <laughs> one massive superpower defeating another massive superpower in a one-off game of ice hockey compared to this Leicester story well, the word dismissively and 1980 US hockey does not sit well stateside here, by the way. You can never use the word dismissively when you talk about the 80 US hockey team because th- I would say that the ne- the negative on the 80 US hockey team is that it wasn't a season long thing. See, you guys like, we have to sort of like define the terms of our barstool argument here is because Lester did this over the course of a season. This was not a one off. This was not. You know, the movie, uh, this was not uh, whatever, um, I'm trying to think of the uh, victory. It wasn't the uh, the Stallone-Pele soccer movie where you beat the guards in one game. Escape the victory, No, this yeah, was yeah. something, yeah, yeah. This is something they crafted all year long. So I have kind of a couple of lists here going, but I do want to just get my American backup, not Donald Trump style, but uh, Brian Murphy style, and say that the 1980 U.S. hockey team was not a superpower. It was a bunch of college kids. It was a bunch of amateurs and college kids going up against what was, I think, generally acknowledged to be the greatest hockey team in the world, team that had beaten NHL All-Stars, the Soviet Union hockey team. So it was a bunch of amateurs and college kids from Minnesota and South Dakota and Massachusetts. So that's why I think what always makes the top of our list was it wasn't, it wasn't America's best 
just happened to be underrated against the Soviets' best. It was America's college kids. It wasn't our best hockey players. So anyway, standing up for the U.S. hockey team forever. Uh, you guys even use it in the intro to this damn piece. We so, do, uh, we there do. You go. <laughs> well, what is on your list? You said you've got a nice little list in front of you of yeah, I do. more I do. I did a little prep for once, in a while, for once in my life. I actually prepped I've for you guys. Yeah, um, so, uh, so I've got uh, kind of a list, and you guys can ke- either um, consider them or dismiss them, as it were. You start with... Um, and Simon sent this one to me, and I would agree. You start with something like a 1999 St. Louis Rams. Okay, Kurt Warren. The reason why I would submit this one to you guys is that, and again, none of this is going to touch 132 years of failure, right? 132 years. That just kind of stands alone. But these little runners-up would include the 1999 St. Louis Rams, who not just had been on a 10-year losing skid. They had no winning seasons from 1989 to 1999. So granted, it's only 10 years. But the key to this, this all, and they'd never won a Super Bowl. So they won a Super Bowl that year. So it was their first ever Super Bowl after a decade of sucking. But the key to it all is that their quarterback was the most unlikely guy on all. It's a guy we've talked about before, Kurt Warner, whose name is probably, and in fact, he's going into the Hall of Fame, but this guy came out of nowhere. I mean, literally out of a Iowa cornfield, like the movie Field of Dreams. This is a guy who wouldn't even sniff the NFL. He would been dismissed, cut from a camp the moment he walked in, and was playing arena football, guys, and stocking grocery shelves in Iowa when he finally got a chance to go be a backup, 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 backup guy in the Rams and fought his way to be the starting quarterback and then led them to the Super Bowl. So I'd submit that one. That one's pretty good yeah, for the good, uh, yeah. the cornfield story of Kurt Warner. I would also throw in, and you can't you can't ignore the 1969 Miracle Mets. The New York Mets were born in 1962 after the New York Giants and and Brooklyn Dodgers left New York. Obviously, one of the one of the biggest things that ever happened in American sports was those two baseball teams leaving New York for the West Coast. It was a it was a it was a sea change in the in the culture of our country. The West Coast became pro sports haven, and New York was without baseball. And then they they gave birth to this team called the Mets. Well, they had the Yankees, of course, but they were without their National League team. So they gave birth to this team called the Mets in 1962. And I mean, guys, the Mets were atrocious, atrocious. Now, they finished in every year of their existence. They finished in last place except for two years when they finished in ninth place out of ten. They never had a winning season in their existence. Now, granted, again, this is where Leicester City just laughs at these stories because it was only seven years from 1962 to 1969. But the 1969 Mets winning the World Series was one of the most stunning things to happen because, A, it was in New York City where you never, you know, I mean, usually you associate that with Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth. But these guys were the laughing stock, laughing stock of baseball. And for them to, to rise up in 1969 and win the national, to win the uh, the World Series, they're called the Miracle Mets. You know, so before the Miracle on Ice, the Miracle Mets. So those two are, are, are I don't know, what do you guys think early on of those two? Yeah, I like, uh, I think I'm going to, well, maybe be just because I know Kurt Warner, and I don't, think I, I don't think I have any name recognition of any of the 69 Miracle Mets. I'm going to, I'm going to put, Kurt Warner's 99 Rams at number two. All of this behind Leicester City, as you say, Brian. So we've got that, right. that, that at number two. Um, the Mets is impressive. Very impressive, actually. What did they do in 69 that they hadn't been doing from 63 through 68? Yeah, they, had young, they had some young pitching that actually developed. A guy named Tom Seaver, who I'm sure you've oh, heard yeah, of. Maybe, okay. well, of course you have. He's a Hall of Famer. A young pitcher named Nolan Ryan was pitching for them, too. And uh, and they just kind of strung together this this season of good pitching and squeaking out one run runs. They just had a magical year. It's like if you had to ask, what did Leicester City do 
to, to we win the We have been asking Brian and we still don't know. Um, we've been asking that question all, all year. That's what I mean. The Mets really didn't do anything. They didn't like sign like a huge free agent. They didn't have free agency back then. They were just kind of this team that had a magical year where their pitching came together. They, they'd win a lot of close games. They played good defense. And then they started winning. And it became that thing that Leicester City had, which was a, 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 a whole became far greater than the sum of their parts, which is what makes it so great. I'll add one more to the list, guys. Go on. You guys have all seen Gene Hackman in the movie Hoosiers. Oh, yeah, Indiana Basketball, yeah. On now, there was a little. That's a true story. Now, I haven't, Milan, I haven't seen the movie, Brian. What what happened? What's that again, Ken? I, I haven't seen that movie. Okay, so it's a, it's the ultimate. It's like it's second only to Rocky as far as American underdog movies. It's a, a rural Indiana high school. All the Norman Rockwell stereotypes that Americans love to embrace. That perhaps Donald Trump is trying to invoke in his campaign of innocence in a, in a simpler time in this country. Uh, although he sprinkles it in with an ample amount of venom and name-calling and hatred. Uh, but the, Milan High was a a small rural Indiana high school, and Indiana being the heartland of heartland. We were talking about crew-cut kids in, in, in black Chuck Taylor high tops who had really no uh, dominant athletic ability storming their way through the Indiana State High School basketball tournament. They only had 160 kids in their school, and they famously went all the way to the championship, played a team from South Bend, which is the city where Notre Dame is, that was a far, far, uh, far bigger and superior school and won the state championship. It inspired the movie Hoosiers, which, to me, honestly, I think is the second best American sports movie ever made behind Rocky. It, it, it captures all the themes you want, which is A, sort of American heartland, B, total underdogs, of course, C, the concept of a team coming together with a bunch of disparate parts. You know, one guy whose father is an alcoholic, one guy who's the loner in the town, who's the best player in town, who they have to beg him to play because he, he doesn't really want to play for a certain coach. And it all comes together. And they invoke David and Goliath from the priest right before they go out and beat the big team. They read from the Bible, etc. Truly a great movie. And, and like all great movies, uh, sports movies like Rocky and Field of Dreams, aided by a swelling and orchestral score from, uh, I believe his name's Jerry Goldsmith. So the movie, the violins get you uh, teary-eyed, and then watching Gene Hackman preach the concept of team basketball to a bunch of white boys from Indiana as they storm their way to the championship. That would be one we'd have to put on the list, too. And then, of course, 1980 U.S. Hockey, which you guys said. So the other ones are all individual. You know, Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson. You know, how about Rulon Gardner, the wrestler, taking down the the unbeatable Russian, right? What was his name? Alexander Cardin, I think, was his name. Oh, that's over my then, head, Brian, I got to say, yeah. Well, I thought you guys, I thought that would be right up your alley because you guys are Olympic, uh, you guys are Olympic aces, aren't you? Well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, sure, <laughs> sure, we know our judo from our uh, curling, but... Um, I don't know if we know the the ins and outs of the. It's funny, re- I put that the, one the down because I always I associate you guys with. You guys always ask me about a minor sport. We're we're so obsessed with football, ones, basketball, yeah. and baseball here. And sometimes you guys ask me about cycling or something like that, and I'll have to scramble for a take. Mm. So I was like, oh, these guys will know wrestling for <laughs> sure. But yeah, there's a great story. Rulon Gardner, talk about another heartland American. I believe he was from Nebraska or Idaho, something like that. He took on like the greatest wrestler in the history of sport. I think it was the 2000 Olympics. Name was Alexander Cardin from the Soviet Union. He had been undefeated in like 130 meets. And Rulon Gardner pinned him for the gold medal. It's considered one of the greatest 
uh, Olympic upsets of all time. So uh, there you go. There's another one for you guys to look up. So anyway, I'm throwing them all up against the Leicester City wall, boys, and Leicester City still might have them all beat. I love them, Brian. Um, But just you remind me there when talking about the Hoosiers and Indiana and Donald Trump, poor old Ted Cruz, who's who's bowed out of things entirely now, really – finished his own campaign off there in Indiana, didn't he, by getting the terminology wrong while standing in a high school basketball gym? Hilarious, you're right. I, unwittingly, I am linking two current events here, Leicester City and, and Hoosiers and Ted Cruz's flame out in the state of Indiana, which produced Larry Bird, you know, arguably the most romanticized basketball player Give in the country's history. Give him his proper title, Brian. Give, uh, the, give fr- Larry- the hick from French Lick, correct, my friend. Yep. Yes, or you want to go with? I was, I always liked Larry Legend too. I always kind of like the alliteration of a Larry. <laughs> nah, Legend. I prefer the hick from French Lick. So I like the, the hick from French Lick yeah. does stand alone as uh, one of the greatest nicknames ever. French Lick, Indiana, but uh, that's his hometown. But um, Indiana basketball is so romanticized that basketball played a role in this campaign. The first one is is that Bobby Knight who I'm sure you guys might know as the incredibly temperamental and profane coach of the Indiana University basketball team. You, you guys must know him because he's the, the, the ultimate ugly American. He, treat, he treated people poorly in an in a international event once in Puerto Rico. He, threw a, he got arrested, I believe, for assaulting a referee. He was famous for physically assaulting his players, once stopping a game when he threw a chair across the floor because he disagreed with a call. Made famous, I mean, Brian, what, also from uh, John Feinstein's book, A Season on the Brink. That's that's how I kind of knew him first. So I'd imagine some people would have read that tremendous one. Tremendous yeah. knowledge. Nice work there, Owen. But the catch is that Bobby Knight came out and endorsed Donald Trump and campaigned around the state with Donald Trump. That and, and people who like us, and we talked about Trump on an earlier show, I know, those of us who are horrified by the idea of Donald Trump kind of see Bobby Knight as the ultimate Trump supporter. You know, he's like the most profane, you know, brash, loud, just, you know, uh, unapologetic uh, dude, old white man. So Donald Trump uh, campaigning with Bobby Knight was one thing. Interestingly, on a little sub note, Donald Trump, who's tweeting like a fool throughout this entire thing, tweeted out that he was going to be campaigning with Bobby Knight and how excited he was. And he spelled Bobby Knight's name wrong. N-I-G-H- he spelled it like M. Night Chameleon is Bobby Knight with a K. We're like, nice, Donald. You're going to go campaign with the guy. He's the most famous basketball coach outside of John Wooden that Indiana ever produced, and you're, you're spelling his name wrong. But he ducked the bullet. The guy who got ripped was Ted Cruz, who, as you guys know, he called his campaign quits last night. But the uh, the fatal one of his fatal final blows as he staggered to the finish line was citing the movie Hoosiers, which I hope Ken is going to watch ASAP, and citing a famous scene from it. And Gene Hackman, the coach, Normandale, has this great scene where he calls for two of the scrubs and he he gets one of them on on the – he boosts one of them up to the ring and he has them measure the hoop. He says, I want you to take some tape measure and measure the hoop down to the floor right there. And he says, what does it say? And they're all standing there in awe in this big jam. They say, it says 10 feet, coach. And Gene Hackman, Normandale, says – I believe you'll find those same dimensions at our gym back in Hickory. Let's go, men. And they walk off the floor. It's like a legendary scene of like, you know, just, yeah, these guys are going to do it, man. We can do it. It's the same court we play on back at Hickory. And, uh, and Ted Cruz, in invoking that scene, said, when, but when, when, Don, when Hickory High measured that basketball ring, they noticed it was 10 feet. And everybody's like, whoa, whoa, dude. You mean the hoop? <laughs> he called it a ring, and uh, he was a laughing stock. Uh, not coincidentally, his campaign died out three days later. So yeah. there you go, <laughs> Brian. I think uh, Ken is furiously YouTubing 
Uh, Hoosiers right now. Seven point six on IMDb, Brian. <laughs> sounds well, pre- seven point six? Are you serious? Yeah, oh, I'd give it like a nine point six. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Glad you enjoyed the Leicester story, Brian, and it's always good to talk. Thank you. Great stuff, guys. Take care. I never asked you, Murph. Sorry, I presume you, you've got the, you've seen Hoosiers. You've got that kind of a head on you. I have a lad who have seen Hoosiers at some point. Uh, do you want to know when I watched Hoosiers for the first time? I'm going to say 1987. Well, when was it out? Five years old. 86. No. I think it's I think it's a mid eighties. No, I'd say sometime in the nineties, like around ninety, maybe college. When you everyone watches a lot of movies in college, don't they? Last week on, really? I watched Hoosiers last Monday night for the first time. Yep, uh, it was on uh, TCM, Turner Classic Movies. Uh, but now it was shown maybe a, a number of months ago. I taped it and taped it, you know, DVR'd it, whatever, uh, and. Uh, and uh, watched it on Monday night. Did you enjoy it? It's, it's Brian uh, Murphy's favourite sports movie of all time, pretty much. Well, uh, one of the top two. Yeah, it's a schmaltzy slice of uh, Americana, uh, is how I'd describe it. Uh, they can use that for the poster, for the DVD re-release, if they so desire. Uh, but no, it was it was good. You know, you kind of knew what was coming. Uh, but that's fine. It's a sports movie. It's like a uh, an unreconstructed sports movie. So you know what's coming. Yeah, as opposed a lot to, of sentimentality. Yeah, you know they're going to win. Gene Hackman, though, you know there's Fine a actor. lot to be said for a movie with Gene Hackman. In it. That's true. Poor old Ted Cruz's slip up was not only noted by voters in Indiana, apparently, but also by the top man. And then there's Ted Cruz. Ted had a tough week. He went to Indiana. Who's your country? Stood on a basketball court and called the hoop a basketball ring. What else is in his lexicon? Baseball sticks? Football hats? <laughs> but sure, I'm the foreign one. <laughs> Obama using that as part of his killer sandal routine at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. You can hear all the applause there. I haven't uh, watched, I haven't watched this bit. year's one. Oh no, it's I, really good. It's, it's, he, was, it, it, he felt, I think, f- as free as he ever has to really mm. kind of let rip. And I thought he'd done better ones, actually. Really? I've, I've seen him do do better comedy uh, performances. Oh, I thought it's his I mean, there was, good. There was, I mean, he's, there was he's like actually, a, a long video. Yeah. I mean, he is, he is, he is good. Yeah. I just didn't think he was, he was that good. Although you can hear the laughter there. I mean, if the you know that's the sycophantic press conference laughter. Imagine what the press the White House correspondence dinner laughter is like at actual funny jokes I mean I'm surprised there there haven't been deaths in this <laughs> yeah you know and people yeah people you can see people drinking wine and stuff you know it's not one of these mm. water only type of events yeah. so the, uh, yeah, the one where the, he played the I am a real American uh, that was very good yeah the, 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 back, remember back when Donald Trump was a laughing stock not uh, the well you, see, well, you can see Trump you can see Trump's head you know, just you can you can kind of just see his unmistakable hair uh, as he's sitting there listening to this. I mean, he, this was this was a year. Was it last year or the year before? No, I think this was a while ago. Twenty twelve, maybe. And he's, and he's talking. Have you never seen it? No, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the high point. This this year would want to go some to be funnier than that one. Yeah, that you know he's he's talking about Trump's experience for the job with reference to his, you know. Appearances on The Apprentice and uh, the decisions that he's had—it's—it's it's worth—it's uh, worth a look. But you can see Trump there; you can just see just enough of his face to see that he's not 
thinking this is that funny. <laughs> but the whole room is laughing at him. And I wonder if that was the moment when he decided. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast is ready. That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You show me, man. So, Owen, we are going to talk about Pep Guardiola, the man who has led the way in so many ways. In so many different ways, he has been a leader. Uh, managers now dress; they try to dress like him. Uh, they a lot of them try to get their teams to play like him. And yet, Owen, is he nothing more than a failure? Is he a failure? That's the question that you asked Raphael Honigstein. That's to answer. not actually what I asked. Uh, you were like, is Pep Guardiola a failure? No, Raphael? answer the question. Is he a big answer the failure? question. At Bayern Munich. Has he failed at Bayern Munich? Might have been That's a better way to put it. Might have been a better way to put it. That, is he a failure? At Bayern Munich. Has he failed? Pep Guardiola, a successful man, but has he failed? That was one of the things we talked about. We talked to Sid Lowe as well about, I mean, it's another Atletico uh, Real Madrid final. It could be an all-Spanish-European finals. Has that happened before, actually? It may even have happened before. Both Europa League and Champions League, just four Spanish teams. Yeah, great chat with Sid, who was um, underwhelmed by Manchester City's <laughs> bloodless, he called them at one stage. That's actually as about as withering as I've ever heard Sid be about a team. He was just like, kind of stupefied by how bad Manchester City were. And he was a little bit r- r- reticent because he did make the point, look, a, a lot of people see a lot more of Man City than I do. I don't watch these guys. I don't watch week, them that often, God. but by God, there's nothing about, there's nothing. This it's team more, has nothing. It, the more of Man City you see, the worse it gets. There, so, I mean... There are I mean, some if great you, clips yeah. on, on just online, so some some great clips of, of cities in the aptitude and Yaya Turi in particular. Well, you made the point a couple of weeks ago, Ken, uh, that... You actually, it's when Pep got the job that you only felt there were maybe two players who he would keep. Now you Sterling and De Bruyne. You possibly have to keep more just because it's hard to I mean, shift I, an entire squad. Yeah. But at the time, I kind of thought that was a bit ludicrous because there was Vincent Company there. I actually think Yaya Torre gets a bit of a hard deal, although it was never his style of play was never. Torre's gone. Torre's gone. Torre's gone. Company co- and Sid company, said there's only two gone. or three players he thinks were any good and look any good. Yeah, Company is really struggling with injuries now. I just, I just, feel I still think Aguero is a guy you. Yeah, Aguero has no shots in his last five Champions League games. Did no you, shots on target. Did you watch the game on RTE or on BT last night? Uh, I watched BT last night. Yeah. Uh, well, I was watching it on BT as well. And after about 35 minutes, Owen Hargreaves was on co-commentary saying, why is Sergio Aguero, why is he constantly picking the ball up 40 yards from his own goal? It got and So he kept beating that drum throughout the game. But the more he said it, the deeper Sergio Aguero... Like, he was getting the ball inside his own half mm. and passing it sideways. Mm. I mean, if you're back there, at least try and do something. The idea of you of you going back there just so you can pay, play a sideways pass is actually very selfish. Because what it is, is I don't want the heat map for Sergio Aguero to say that I touched the ball five times in this mm. game. I mean, you're either going back there to affect the game, so go and affect the game, or you're... Or you're doing what you should do, which is just stay in the penalty area, waiting for, and, it, waiting for a chance. Yeah, and don't don't touch the ball for 25 minutes, but at least at least engage the the two centre halves. Move around, yeah. Yeah, what, what I what I really saw from Aguero was I thought that was kind of gutless, to be honest. Do you think? Yeah, I did, to be honest, because there he's on the team to do something, and when it looked like he wasn't going to be allowed to do that thing, mm. 
He ju- he just went. Up, he just said, "Right, well, I've, I've got to touch the ball. I've, I I have to touch the ball. I have to get, I have to be involved in this game because I don't want people to say that I've ju- it, this has been another washed up performance for me in the Champions League." Well, if no one else is going to do it, though, maybe but he he's, feels he's got to he's got to make something happen. You but know? all he did when he went back there was pass the ball sideways. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, if he goes back there and he tries to hit thirty yard passes to Kevin De Bruyne, who's running beyond someone, then that's fair enough. I mean, you're, you're trying to do something that you believe you're better equipped to do than Fernando is. Yeah. But if you're only going back there to pass the ball sideways to people, I mean, that's, that's just self-indulgent. Yeah. Maybe he just got back there and only realised at that point, oh, wow, this is th- it's pretty tough this back here. back here. I, fe- I felt really going. sorry for company. I mean, you saw what happened to him. It was just another one of these... Yeah. It just keeps happening to him. You know, he he's running or he he does he tries to do something semi athletic and suddenly twang something something's gone and he's limping off. I mean, company was posting videos earlier in the season of him of himself doing his rehabilitation. You know, like training montage with Vincent Company. Seriously, yeah. uh, you know, and he, and uh, you're just thinking, what's the point of even doing that? It's like his whole season now just consists of these rehabilitation videos. Him and his trainer throwing medicine balls at each other, you know, it's just like it's a. Mm. I feel I feel sorry for him because I think he's been a great he's been a great player, and I think there are actually not well not not him. not so much kind of questions about whether he's going to be able to keep playing. Although that is, if every time you play something goes, something snaps, uh, something strains, then you're you're in a bad position. But certainly, I think a club like Manchester City is not going to be able to really put up with it anymore. You know, you can have a kind of an old war horse if you're kind of a, a smaller club or you can, you know, throw this guy in. But Man City need a, need a guy who's going to be able to play every week and, and company, it looks like, isn't that type of player anymore. Amir Khan is jumping up two weight classes to challenge Sal Canero Alvarez. Uh, Alvarez, I should say, for the WBC World Middleweight title in Vegas this weekend. Andy Lee is here to chat about it. Andy, how are you? Fine, how are you on? Well, I'm good, but slightly less glamorous um, surroundings than the last time yeah. we chatted. Yeah. You enjoy the New York trip? New York was brilliant, and uh, I have to thank you guys again for including me. It was well. That, that's all we want. We just yeah. we're just looking for uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. We suppose we are great guys, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's on the record now, yeah. so that's, that's the last time. Uh, tell us, are you excited about this one? This fight? Um, I'm very interested, and it's an intriguing fight, and um, it's a real clash of styles. Um, there's so much uh, involved in the fight in terms of the weight class they're fighting at, the jump up for Khan, currently carry speed. Um, up with him and will he be able to, to hold a punch from Canelo who's a strong puncher and there's a lot of you know there'll be a lot of questions answered uh, after Saturday night Interestingly Amir Khan is asking some of those questions himself publicly um, or something on these quotes I'm going to hit Canelo and he's probably not going to feel it but skill mm. is going to win it I, I, I don't want to be involved in exchanges standing in front of him giving him free shots I know he can hurt me with one big shot before, I've not respected guys who've knocked me down, but this fight, I know I can be hurt, so I'll be on the edge and my defences will be sharper. Now, all, all of that is very logical, and mm. that is the way he has to approach it, but I find it strange a fighter admitting before a fight that he knows he can't hurt the other guy. Well, yeah. Khan is a very fast puncher, and sometimes that carry, you know, the punch that you don't see can hurt you or sting you. And like he said, if he's... Like I said, if you don't respect somebody's power, which Canelo might not respect his, then he might end up stinging him. Yeah. I don't know if he can if he can hurt him in terms of knocking him down or dazing him, but but, um, it, but it's okay to you can as a fighter, it's all right for Khan to go in with that mindset, mm, knowing that I think it's a I think it's a good good right, mindset okay. to go in with. And a fighter who fights with a little bit of fear, they almost they're better defensively. You know, um, sometimes fighters can be too brave, mm. and and they leave themselves open and. Uh, 
he like I like what I've hearing from Khan. That's very sensible. You know, he, uh, I feel good to see that he just has to stay on his toes if he can for twelve rounds and box and not exchange, not hold his feet. Um, but doing that against a welterweight is is a lot easier than doing it against a middle um, middleweight. Even though they're fighting at one hundred fifty five pounds, which is eleven stone one. Um, it's still a big jump. It's still a big jump. It's eight pounds higher than what Khan's fought previously. And the time, that's just the weighing weight. Canelo will be coming down from 170. I know that, uh, you know, if the 30 day weigh and he was 167 or something like that. So, um, he, you know, by the time the fight comes, he'll be back up to 170. So that's that's a big, big advantage. So if you're, if you're the middleweight who's fighting against the smaller man, Amir Khan, if you're putting yourself in. Um, you know, in the shoes of Alvarez here, how do you go about dominating the smaller guy who who is very fast and, and very skillful? He's got to try and make the ring small. Um, he's got to cut 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 him off, not follow him around the ring. Cut cut the corners off. Um, Khan will look to try and get in and out, which is, which has almost been Khan's downfall before. His problem is um, he starts punches from too far out because he has such speed. He's almost so far out of range that he kind of lunges in. And tries to you know tries to surprise him, and people with good timing have caught him. Uh, Prescott and Danny Garcia, they've caught him. They've timed his attack um, when he's launched, and they've caught him. And that's when he's been knocked out. You know, these two big knockout losses. So one thing that Canelo has is great timing, and technically he's probably superior than than American. So it's an intriguing fight. You know, can he stay on his toes for the twelve rounds? Can he? Uh, Avoid exchanges. It's it's an intriguing fight, and it's one I'm going to be watching. Yeah. yeah. What does Khan have then? You know, the, if if you kind of mm. take away the fact that you know you would also say he's a very heavy puncher at his weight, but if you take that away from him, obviously there's question marks over his chin. You know, what what are the the things he's going to return to throughout the fight to give him confidence that he can win it? One thing about Amir Khan, you have to look at his record as Olympic silver medalist at 17 years old. You know, that's an, that's an, in boxing, he only lost to Mario Kindlin, one of the greatest amateur boxers of all time. So he's got a, I, I, I think so, and I know him. He, he's a very composed young man, and he's well, not so young anymore, but he's very determined, very, he has a great mental strength and inner belief in himself. And I think that's his, one of his greatest strengths. He's come back from two crushing defeats to Danny Garcia and uh, Brendan Prescott and become a world champion even after that. So that shows he's he's got some metal. But te- he's got blinding speed. He's always had that from a young age. He's been gifted with fast hands and fast fast feet and he's going to have to use them. Canelo's fought 48 times. He's only lost to Floyd Mayweather. According to <laughs> according to BoxRec, he's only 25 years of age. Yeah. I mean, his, yeah. he's born on July, July 18th, 1990, and his mm. first professional fight is on 29th of October, 2005. Mm. So that's 15 and mm. a small bit. Yeah, he that, he's done it the old, old apparently school. the old-fashioned Mexican way of turning pro young. He's come from a boxing family. His brother, brother was a professional fighter, and I think he's trained by his older brother as well. So... Um, yeah, he did it the old-fashioned way, and he's learned on the job. And he, you know, they brought him along the right way. He's got a big following in Mexico, and uh, you know, he's he's he looks Irish. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> but he, yeah. you know, he's, he's fighting on Cinco yeah, de Mayo. He's got a, he's well, got a real a square, thing, yeah. like a square jaw, good-looking guy, and he's a real macho guy. And 
it's it's a he's a, he's probably the biggest Mexican fighter out there yeah. in terms of popularity and stuff. Is there are there any weaknesses? I mean, is there, and is there an issue um, maybe more particularly when you have been fighting that long? Like he's only twenty five, but he's mm. fought so many of these fights and he's been around. I mean, is, is that all advantageous at this stage of his career? Um, I think it's yeah. I think so. You know, you would be having hard fights in the amateurs or or you know being you know he he's landing on the job. He's only lost his Floyd Mayweather. Now he's you know considered the best boxer, maybe one of the best of all time. Um, but in that fight, he kind of got led on a merry dance. He just followed Floyd around the ring and played into his hands and got couldn't do anything to counteract Floyd's counterpunching and movement. And that's the blueprint Army Khan has to follow. But whether he can do that to that level remains to be seen. Yeah, Khan's uh, using another blueprint: Sugar Ray Leonard against Marvin Hagler in 1987. But you know, this is just something you say maybe to yeah. big up a fight. I don't know. I wouldn't know. But yeah, yeah, I think it's just totally let Leonard stepped up. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. optimistic stuff yeah. from from American there. Maybe uh, tell us, would you fancy either of these guys in the near future? Yeah, I doubt that I'll ever fight either of them um, because of politics or politics. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, especially not American. I don't think. I don't think so. But uh, why, why? Why is that? If he, if he is up in the division, or he, they're not really middleweights, you know, and they don't really want to fight middleweights. There, this is one fifty-five, which is one pound above the light middleweight, which is close, and they're actually close to welterweight. So, I don't see them fighting in. And even though that the, the winner of this fight is man, man, mandated to fight Golovkin, Gennady Golovkin, I don't see. In, yeah, I'd see them vacating before they fight him. Really? Mm. All right, quick prediction then. Sounds like uh, Khan's um, got his work cut out here. Khan's got his work cut out. If he can box and stay on his feet for 12 rounds and not exchange, he's got a good chance of winning. But all all roads lead to Canelo, and I think it looks like he's going to win by late stoppage. Andy, great to see you. Thanks, lads. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. a humorous competition. I thought Important man for my selection. Yeah, I'm just having a look at Canelo here. Andy said he looks a little bit Irish. Um, he actually, I'm having a proper. He actually looks a lot like a sort of a fresh-faced bad guy in a movie. Do you know what I mean? Not the standard. You know, you've got the mm. evil-looking, sinister murder type, who you know straight away is a murderer type, and that's going to happen. But sometimes there's a more fresh-faced boy next door who's j- just a little too fresh-faced for comfort. Yeah. There's something going on behind those eyes, and ultimately, you know, this guy's going to turn bad. I'm thinking, Ken, for example, right? I'll show you. I'll, I'll, I'll show you this guy, John Leguizamo. Huh? Yeah. Who's John Leguizamo? He yeah. he he's he's played a few. Um, he's a bad guy in Carlito's way. Okay. He's he's a he's, he's Benny tip- from the Bronx, and uh, isn't that isn't that the yeah, guy? Yeah, Benny. Yeah, yeah, Benny from the Bronx. He's he's uh, he's in Romeo and Juliet. You know, the the Leonardo DiCaprio, mm-hmm. Claire Danes version. Uh, he's Tybalt in that. Tybalt is not a bad guy necessarily. He's just a bit of a, a bit of a hothead. Maybe that's what you're talking about. On well, I was going to go for Todd from Breaking Bad. Actually, first of all, look at look. Oh, at, he, look, he looks like John Arnorita. Look at Alvarez here, right? That's Alvarez. You're looking at Alvarez there. Yeah, yeah. He does look a bit like him actually. And here is Todd Alquist from Breaking Bad. Oh yeah. Oh, that's what's good. what's the actor's name again? Uh, I don't know. It's just Todd. He's Breaking in. Bad. He's in loads of stuff like that. He does look a bit like John Arnorita, I think. But uh, yeah. I, I didn't mean that this guy looked like the uh, the boxer. No, but that was the type of person you were talking about there, yeah. yeah uh, I don't know. Th- I'd be a bit worried. This cat... Sorry, you were going to... Well, no, just, I mean, 
maybe we're talking about how threatening or otherwise this this guy looks. But I mean, his nickname is Canelo, which is Spanish for cinnamon, mm-hmm. which is not the most. That's not the most vicious sounding boxing nickname. I've. It's not the Punisher. No. Instance. Well, I was going to say we know Ken. We know how Ken feels. Ken likes that more neutral type of. Yeah. yeah, I think it's nice. There's no need, no need to offend anyone. Nice. No need to scare anyone. You can scare yeah. them with your fists. You don't need to scare them with yeah. your nickname. I was, cool. was going to say the catchweight is almost Ken a- Bluebell early. <laughs> the well, Bluebell. What about the foxglove? <laughs> well, fo- isn't fo- but isn't foxglove doesn't it have an undertone of danger because yeah. foxglove is, is poisonous, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, the the pollen from it deadly is deadly nightshade or something like that, isn't that it? Yeah. Ken deadly nightshade early is actually a pretty good nickname. Is foxglove is it foxglove poisonous or have I libeled it well I was going to make a fairly inane point about the catch weight here so if you want me to do it to fill time while you yeah, do, check that actually, out yeah, then I will not? okay the point couldn't, I was going to make couldn't hurt, couldn't hurt all. okay listeners the point I was going to make was that this catch weight seems pretty much irrelevant really because Canelo as Andy intimated will just eat and drink plenty to get his weight up nice and he's going to be nice and big by the time he fights it is kind of American, American isn't it like yeah regardless I mean you so it's, you're, you're, you're fighting at 155 but actually you're going to come in <laughs> stone heavier than that 170 uh, whatever it might be okay I've made my uh, name point there which was pretty much already made I'm just kind of piggybacking on Andy's point so what have you got yeah uh, boys oh yeah no, it's, it's poisonous alright yeah. you eat a whole ton of foxgloves you're probably going to have some problems <laughs> so it's your nickname or yeah. have you made a decision on it? it's, it's Ken the Fox Glove early <laughs> yeah. I like it I, yeah, I, I like it, it. Yeah, I mean even for the uninitiated there's a fox there yeah. which is while not strictly dangerous at least a predator you yeah. know of some renown the glove which obviously boxing yep ah Ken but listen the, the wiliness the cunning of the fox the association kind of with fox catcher yes yeah. and then the mm. poison the poisonous undertone this is good. This yeah. is very good. It's got everything. Bonus Kevin Keegan podcast is out now. Go and treat yourself to that one. Thanks very much, Ken. Thanks, Murph. We'll get you your boxing nickname maybe in the next podcast. Thanks, uh, tw- tweet, thanks us, tweet us some boxing nicknames for Murph. See if we can get uh, It's Afternoon Delight. Kieran, Afternoon Delight, Murphy. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 